curious, how many have been to see the movie Jesus Revolution? Okay, hold, hold your hands up one more time. You seen it? Okay, about a third of you. And you should really go see it. You should really go see it. You know, a few, uh, I guess a month or two ago, whenever revival started flowing from Asbury uh, University and then hit other campuses, man, my heart was moved and was stirred. Uh, and I know it's an it's a imperfect movement. Every movement is imperfect because God's working with imperfect people, right? Uh, don't look for perfection. That doesn't exist. Uh, but that really stirred my heart. And then this past week, Starla and I finally went to see Jesus Revolution. And again, man, my heart was stirred. Uh, what I saw happening there, which what was so encouraging is because it's, at least for me, it seems so current. It's not that far removed. Uh, I know Chuck Smith, pastor that's in the, portrayed by uh, Kelsey Grammer. I know he's passed away. Greg Laurie is still pastoring out in Riverside. Uh, but that movement is still alive and well. It's not a movement about a particular church. It's not a movement about a denomination. It's not a movement about an individual. It's a Jesus movement. And Jesus is still, he's still touching people's hearts today. He's still changing lives. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of something that is eternal. And I'm really excited about that, but I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm compelled, challenged to make sure that we as a church, we're not taking what we have here for granted. And we're certainly not getting into a, an attitude where we can just come in and go through the routine of church without being moved. I want to be pushed out of my comfort zone. I watched that happening there. I thought, well, yeah, yeah. they were getting pushed out of their comfort zone, but it made a difference in the lives of people for all of eternity. So I come today really humbled and, and hungry. I, I just, I want, I want more of Jesus, more of Jesus than I ever have before. And I hope you do as well. So as we get ready to wrap up this, uh, this series called God is for you, let me just ask, ask a quick question. How many here today would consider yourselves uh, a, a competitive per person. You're competitive. Yep. Okay. You're the really ultra competitive people. You didn't even raise your hand. You just looked side-eyed and thought, I'm more competitive than they are. Yeah. yeah you just, I, I know, I know you, I know you. I'm a pretty competitive person and uh, maybe not as much now in my older years as I was in my younger years, but I did have somebody call me just uh, this past week. Actually, it was just yesterday and told me, say, hey, I want you to come with me. I want you to, uh, and this isn't necessarily competitive. This is just uh, adventurous. But they said, I want you to come with me and go to this thing where we, we zip line over an alligator farm. I said, I'm in. I'm in. Let's go. Let's do it. He said, you know, I've invited some other pastors to do it. And they all said, no. I said, count me in. I know it's got a little crazy in me, but that's okay. But I've got this competitive thing in, inside of me. And even when Hunter was in fifth grade, she'll remember this. So I would take her to school in the mornings. We would drive from North Dallas Tollway down uh, Frankfurt towards Coit, where her school was. And nearly every single morning, we would 
beyond Frankfurt with this yellow Hummer that was going to the same school with one of Hunter's classmates. And we would race to school. The crazy thing is they never knew we were racing, or at least I don't think. We never talked about it. We just, we just, all right, it's on. There they are. We've got to beat them. And we just made up this competition. I, I can remember my first year of marriage walking through a cafeteria line. For those of you that uh, don't know what cafeterias are, uh, well, I think you do. Uh, but this was a Wyatt's cafeteria. Some of you have never seen that. We're in a Wyatt's cafeteria, and Starla and I and my mother and father-in-law, and my mother-in-law looks back over her shoulder and looks at my tray, at my selection of food, and kind of shames me a little bit. She says, Kendall, you know, if you keep eating like that, you're going to have a 40-inch waist by the time you're 30. I looked at my tray, and I thought, what's wrong with chicken fried steak with cream gravy, mashed potatoes with cream gravy, mac and cheese, I did have a healthy choice on there. It was a wheat roll, a wheat roll, and then some chocolate pie. I mean, come on, what's wrong with that? That's, just, that's still a go-to meal for me today. But I have to tell you that when she said that, to this day, my greatest incentive, my greatest motivation, my greatest inspiration for weight control is to prove my mother-in-law wrong. That's right. And I remind her of that often. Uh, Competitive. The good news is that if you like winning and you want to win, God wants you to win as well. But God wants you to win at the things that matter the most. Because what we're going to see is God's not just interested in us winning, but he's inter interested in us winning at what matters most. And I believe that's probably most of our desire as well. Because Jesus even told us in Mark 8, 36, he said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul. What Jesus was saying is you can win at the things that don't really matter that much and end up losing in the thing that matters ultimate. So I'm concluding this series today called God is for you as we've been uh, taking sections of Romans chapter eight and just going through it. But uh, I hope that this last section really speaks to all of us because what we're going to learn is not, not just that God is for you, but how God is for us. Because I believe when we see all the ways that God is working in our lives, then we'll begin to aim differently in our lives. We'll have a different confidence that we didn't know that we could have and that it'll actually change the way we live. Because God's not just for you in some abstract sense. God is for you in the thing that matters the most. Romans 8, let's begin with verse number 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's such a powerful verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? So here's the first point I want to make. Number one, I can count on God's power in my life. God is for me. Who can stand against me? I can count on God's power in my life. And just to kind of give you a little outline of what Paul does here in this last section of Romans 8 is he asks this question, but then he answers the question by asking a series of five more questions. So rather than just answering the question, if God be for us, who can be against us? He responds with five more questions, which is kind of a, 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 the way rabbis would teach their students. It was a method called remez or remise. Uh, it means hint. And rather than giving the answer, 
They would respond with another question and another series of questions and ask questions to give you a hint towards the answer. In fact, Jesus did that on the cross, and I'll be talking about that on Good Friday as we look at the hint. What was Jesus hinting to when he asked a question from the cross? That's Good Friday. Don't miss it. So I can count on God's power in my life. This first question, he says, what shall we say in response to these things? It kind of brings in everything that we've covered. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We talked about that the first week. Second week, uh, that we're adopted into God's family and ultimate sonship. And number three, that no matter what kind of trial comes your way, God can work everything together for good. So if God is for us, who can be against us? Our team is stacked. We have the odds on our side. How many remember when the NBA was first allowed to participate in the Olympics? Anybody remember that? You sports nuts do. Yeah, it was game over for everybody else. USA wiped the floor with everybody because they had this dominant team. The team was stacked. It was the first time professional players were allowed to compete in the Olympics, at least in basketball. And what Paul is saying is that God is for you. He's saying that the team is stacked. There's more on your side than there are against you. And so you have everything that you need to win in the things that matter the most. Regardless of what kind of trials or challenges or struggles you're up against, you have everything you need to win right now. And he goes on, 1 John 4, 4. You're of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. But here's what happens. Sometimes we spend our lives trying to achieve and trying to win at the lesser things of life rather than going after the greater things because we forget who's on our team. We forget that God is for us. Let me give you a very juvenile uh, illustration of this thought. I was in high school. My younger brother and I were attending one of our high school basketball games, and we were wearing our green Waxahachie football letter jackets. And we had won the game. So we come out of the gym and we're walking through the parking lot to our car when there's a lot of trash talking going on. And we had won the game. So these guys were trash talking and we were saying, you know, look at the scoreboard. Look at the, you know. And anyway, it kept going back and forth to, to where it ended up. We got pinned in between two cars surrounded like by five uh, Lancaster guys. And the trash talking was continuing. And uh, it was all my brother and these other Lancaster guys. I was praying and interceding the whole time. Okay. 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 I wasn't, uh, but it, it got so bad that, you know, it, I knew this was it. We're not getting out of here without a fight. It was just somebody was going to throw the first punch and it was going to be on and the odds were against us. And I knew we were going to get whooped and left here in between these two cars when all of a sudden something happened. Five or six other guys from Waxhatchee saw our green jackets. I didn't even know these guys. They just were from Waxhatchee and they came running over and all of a sudden they surround the guys from Lancaster. And it was amazing how just the presence of these other guys changed everything. We went from fear to confidence and they went from confidence to fear. Boom, just like that. Why? Because the odds had changed. And here's what we need to understand. A, a, a juvenile, bad example, never fight, don't talk trash, be godly Christian people. But here's the point. 
When you know there's more on your side, it changes everything. You have this confidence. And I think there's something that we as Christians have forgotten that God is on our side. And we don't live like God is on our side. We live like the odds are against us. But if God is for us, who can be against us? So think about this. What would you attempt in life? What would you do different if you really believed your team was stacked? If you really believed you had a team that could not lose, what would you attempt? This is what I know. There would be some people in this room that you would overcome. your. If you knew God was for you, who could stand against you? You'd get out of your comfort zone. You'd go on a missions trip. You would go to work and you'd share your faith with somebody. You'd get involved in a ministry, helping somebody else through the struggles and trials that you've gone through yourself. You would tell somebody how they could overcome. You might go out and write a book or start a business or you might do something that you've never thought possible before, but all of a sudden you realize God's on your side. Who could stand against me? You're on the winning team. It boosts your confidence to go out and do something, maybe to ask forgiveness from somebody or to offer forgiveness. It would change everything. You can count on God's power in your life because he is for you to win in this life but to win at the things that matter. Look at verse 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? All right, here's the second point that I think Paul is making. I can count on God's provision in my life. Yes, first I can count on his power, but I can also count on his provision. Because Paul asked this next question. If God gave his son to die on our behalf, what won't he give us? I mean, think about it. If God's willing to send his son, what else is he willing to give us? Meaning there, there's nothing else more important than that. We, what we needed was forgiveness and grace, and he gave that. Everything else is less of a request. So why are we afraid to ask God for anything else? And then we have this other verse that is just kind of like the slam dunk, icing on the cake. Ephesians 3, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, exceedingly abundantly above all, that we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. This verse shows us God's heart, that God is not limited to what we ask. He's not limited to what we think. He'll do more than what we ask or think according to to his power. But most of us don't think that we're lovable enough to receive this kind of love, to receive this kind of attention from God. And the truth is we're not, but it's not based on whether we're lovable or not. It's according to his power, according to his riches. It's according to God's nature. God loves us because that's who he is. First John 4, 8, he who does not love does not know God for God is love. Listen, your future success is not determined by anything that you do. Your future success is determined by what God does. It's determined by what Jesus does. It's determined by what he did upon the cross. And when you step out and trust him, then anything becomes possible because listen, the team is stacked. We have God on our side. So yes, I can have his power in my life. I can also have his provision in my life. Look at verse number 33. It says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Again, there's another question. It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Another question. No one. 
Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long, and we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are what? More than conquerors. I'm going to come to that in a minute. More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced. Anybody living convinced? I'm convinced neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, that is good news. So I can count on God's power in my life. I can count on his provision. Let's keep with the peace. And I can count on his presence in my life. See, sometimes we think that the difficulties that we face in life are the absence of God's presence in our life. And that couldn't be further than from the truth. That's kind of a, it was new to Christianity. The ancient religions in the first century, they believed that if you were sick, if you're ill, or if you're in trouble, if you're hurt, uh, that that was a sign that you were, you were forsaken by God. And some people still believe that. They have this default thinking that when things go bad, they think, God, why have you given up on me? They have this default thinking, God, why are you punishing me? Why are you, why are you, why are you mad at me? That, that was the old way of thinking. But Christianity comes along and says, hey, listen, our leader, Jesus, he was forsaken on the cross so that you would never be forsaken. And you need to know that. You need to be convinced of that. In fact, the message that God could use us and make an eternal difference through our life, no matter what our situation, was a brand new idea. It was kind of exclusive to Christianity, and that's why people were flocking to this message, because many people thought they were separated from God because they were poor, they were slaves, they were ill, or they were not part of the cultural elite. And then Paul comes along and tells them, hey, you're more than conquerors. Well, what does that mean? You're either a conqueror or not, right? No, you're more than a conqueror. That word more than a conqueror in the Greek means hyper-conqueror or super-conqueror. The definition means that we won, but it didn't take everything that we have to get the victory. What does that mean? You know what that means? That means that even though we face trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, God takes all of that and works it together for good. So even the things that are going wrong in our life end up turning out right because God takes it and flips the script. That's who God is. Thank you. You get it. That is awesome. That's what makes us more than conquerors. We didn't just win, but he takes even the things that look like loss and turns them into wins. Example. How many times have you lost a job and the door closed and it looked like, oh, what a defeat, only for God to open a door to a better job? Come on. We could go around this room all day long and say, I got a testimony. I got a story. I got one. How many times have you prayed a prayer and God answered with a no? And you were mad, and you were frustrated, and you were upset. Only for a few months later, you get down the road and realize that your request was really kind of ridiculous to begin with. And thank God he said no. Come on, we all got those stories. How many times have you been busted for your sins 
and held accountable. And it might have been the most embarrassing moment of your life, but you are so thankful because now you're free and you can live differently. Come on, that's how God takes something that seems so bad, turns it into something good, and makes us more than conquerors. And then Paul even goes deeper here, and he says, not even life or death can separate us from God's love. That means because if we live, we walk with him. If we die, we spend eternity with him. He says, angels or demons can't separate you from God's love. The idea that natural things or supernatural things can't separate you. He says, things present or things to come. That means your current situation or the situation you're going to be in the future can't separate you from God's love. He says that height or depth, that means the peaks of your life and the lows of your life, can't separate you from God's love. You're not going to shake God. You're going to shake his love. Now, you can walk away from him. You can turn your back on him. You can reject him, but God's love remains. He will be there with his arms open wide, ready to receive you 24-7. Musicians, come on back. And then look at this. I, I hope and pray this next passage, that I'm going to read it out of the message version, but I want you to get this in your heart as the musicians are coming back. Romans 8, 37. None of this phases us. What's he talking about? He's talking about all the difficulties, all the challenges that we face in life, the things that we don't understand, things don't go our way. None of this phases us. Why? Because Jesus loves us. Can you say that? Nothing phases me. I, I know we're human. And, and there are things that are going to happen. Somebody's going to walk out on you. Okay, your heart's going to be hurt. I get that. But it's not going to phase us if we're trusting in Jesus because we know Jesus loves us and he's going to take what seems bad and he's going to turn it into good. So I'm not quitting on Jesus just because somebody quit on me. So nothing phases us. You lost your job. I'm not saying that that's not discouraging, but you got to be able to say, it's not going to phase me. I'm going to keep trusting Jesus because I know I've got his provision in my life. I know that he will bless me and he will open up a new door. So it's not going to phase me because Jesus loves me. See, this, this doesn't mean that we won't have challenges in life. This just means that when we hit those challenges, not going to phase me. I'm going to keep serving Jesus. Somebody in my own home church acted a fool and said something that really ticked me off. And I want to leave and go down the street to another church, but no, I'm not going to let it phase me. I'm not going to let it phase me because Jesus loves me. And I'm going to stay where I'm planted. He goes on and says, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced. Everybody say, absolutely convinced. That nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Now listen, this is what I believe, that when you've really experienced the embrace of Jesus, when you have experienced his touch, you can stand before the storm and you can say, it's not going to phase me because I know Jesus loves me. I'm in his embrace. Got to find a new job. Okay, great. Not going to phase me 
I'm in his embrace. He provides for me, always have and always will. Somebody walked out on me. It's all right. I don't like it, but it's not going to phase me because I know that Jesus is still with me. We've got to be absolutely convinced that nothing's going to separate us from him. And to the degree that we embrace this truth is to the degree that we can live out God's very best in our life. Because listen, my, my, my concern is that many of us, we're going to get to the end of our life and we're going to realize that we've wasted our lives chasing things that don't really matter. When God is on our side and we have the ability to win at the things that really matter, and we're going to realize we wasted our time chasing things that just didn't matter to God. Now, listen, don't get me wrong here because I believe that God wants you blessed. But if your only focus and your only aim and your only goal are material things on this earth, you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to be disappointed. Okay, you got the car, whoop-de-doo. You got the house in the neighborhood you wanted, great for you. You got the designer watch and the designer shoes and you got the clothes, Woohoo! That's your goal in life, what way to go? You know what, it's gonna wear out pretty soon. Fad's gonna change, styles are gonna change, somebody's gonna steal it. We go after all these things and we chase all these things like this is the most important. If I can just have the praise of my colleagues, if I can just, if I can just have this position and you go after it, you go after it, great for you. But you're gonna get to the end of your life and you realize you spent your life chasing things that don't really matter. I'm not saying that you can't have things, but if that's all your focus is, you've got to chase the things that matter. You say, well, what really matters? What's a real win in this life? You want me to tell you what a win is? Let me tell you what a win is. A win is to know that my four children and their spouses and their children and in time their children's children all serve the Lord and go to heaven and that we will spend eternity together. My, my, a win for me is knowing that even if my children mess up, they know they can come home because mom and daddy love them no matter what. Oh, I'm not saying there aren't consequences. There won't be some hell to pay, but I'm just saying they need to know they can come home. A win for me is my wife knowing that I love her as Christ loved the church in the same way Jesus was willing to die for the church. I'm willing to die for her. I'll take the bullet for her. I just don't want her to be the one pulling the trigger, but I'll, I'll take the bullet. I want to make sure that my friends know that I will not walk out when they don't live up to their own standards or God's standards. I'll still be their friend no matter what. A win is for God to look down on Freedom Church and say, Freedom Church didn't cater to people's whims and wishes and wants and desires. No, no, no. They catered to the desire of Jesus Christ. They were more interested in pursuing the presence of God than trying to be cool with people in the community. See, we're going to spend 
a lot of time on this earth chasing dreams. And my hope and my prayer is that you understand that you've got the stacked team on your side. Why are we using the power of Jesus Christ or not using the power of Jesus Christ? And we're chasing things that don't really matter when we should be chasing the things that only matter. And here's my whole point. The only way to really achieve the things that matter most in this life is to make sure that we are following the only one who does matter, Amen. and his name is Jesus. The only one who was willing to lay down his life and give his life so your sins could be forgiven, and he deserves our sacrifice. He deserves our dedication. He deserves our surrender. He deserves our willingness to follow him. I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, look, Lord, we built a big church. We have a, a cool youth building. I want to be able to stand before God and say we led people to Jesus. Can I tell you, this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. In the last service, most of you know Paul and Karen Rossa, some don't, I'm sure, but Paul introduced me to a guest of his in the last service. I said, where'd you guys meet? Met him right before the service. He said he was my Uber driver. I said, awesome. And his name was Ben. Ben said, yeah, I looked at Paul and Karen and I looked at their marriage and I could tell they were blessed. And I asked them, How'd you get blessed? I can see you're blessed. You know what Paul did? You want, to know, you want to know where my blessings come from? Meet me at church this Sunday morning, and I'll show you. And Ben walked in here today, and you know what Ben heard? He heard all about Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That Jesus is the reason for the blessings. Oh, you can have the blessings, but you better know that the blessings are because of Jesus. And when somebody wants to know where your blessings came from, we all better be quick to say, follow me. Follow me. Let me show you who blessed me. Let me show you who saved me. Let me show you who delivered me. Let me show you who restored me. Let me show you who gave me another chance. Let me show you who put me back together. Let me show you who makes all of this worthwhile. His name is Jesus.